Hello and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a gem, a classic, a movie that everyone agrees is wonderful beyond belief, and we give it a review because no one else seems to be doing it. This isn't a nostalgia podcast. This is an honest review of an old movie, and we see if it holds up or if it falls apart. And this, this time, I was going to say this week, this time around, <laughs> we are going to be reviewing that modern classic, that, that testament to the destruction of the middle class and the dissatisfaction of youth and how all Italians are criminals and how Mexican immigrants are funny. <laughs> we are going to be reviewing The Goonies. It's the movie that, if you grew up in the 80s in America, you are almost definitely nostalgic about, in some measure, I think. Almost, I don't think almost I, definitely. I, yeah, almost I, is I, a good... What were you going to say? I, 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 I don't think there's anybody in my current circle of friends that... And most of us are sort of movie-type people, and I don't think there's anybody who doesn't nurse some measure of nostalgia about the Goonies. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, can nostalgia? We need to come up with a word for bad nostalgia. You know what I mean? Because nostalgia—you have that kind of sepia-toned, drifting back to the good old days. I think there needs to be a term for um, bad nostalgia. Maybe to French it up a bit, like nostalgia mal, like that. There you, and, go. you know, nostalgia. oh, it's bad nostalgia. <laughs> nostalgia. Okay, so the Goonies. No, it's not was released in 1985, directed by Richard Donner, and produced by Richard Donner and Harvey Bernhardt. Screenplay by... Guard Yourself for True. Chris Columbus, <laughs> who also wrote um, Gremlins, and uh, did he write Bicentennial Man? He might as well have. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if he wrote it or not. Story by Steven Spielberg, who probably thought it up while on the toilet one day. And starring... <laughs> Sean Astin, Josh Brolin, Jeff Cohen, Corey Feldman, Carrie Green, Martha Plimpton, Kehu Kwan. Did I say your name right? I don't care! <laughs> Music! And I mean, uh, those that. <laughs> when you, If you've seen the movie lately, there seems to be uh, uh, like four tones that he plays throughout the entire movie. That <laughs> dingling, dingling! You hear that throughout the entire thing. <laughs> Music by Dave Grusin? And distributed by Warner Brothers. It had a $19 million budget, and box office was $61 million, so it made its money back. It was considered a hit. I think it was number two the year that it came out. Um, so it wasn't a flop by any stretch of the imagination, but it never got a sequel. We never got a Goonies 2, no Aww. matter how much people demanded it. I I don't mm. understand why it never... I, actually, I really don't understand why it never got a sequel, because it, it made its money. Were they expecting it to do, like, Indiana Jones money or something? Or is it possible that they just wanted to make one and be done with it? They had... I think it's obvious that the filmmakers behind the Goonies just had too much integrity. And they refused to sully is, their creation with a sequel. Is that what it is? Probably. Integrity in Hollywood? Richard Donner of, never made a sequel to anything, right? What kind of fairy tale are you trying to shove down my throat? <laughs> How dare you imply that there's any integrity in Hollywood? <laughs> the whole thing would just fall apart if there was the tiniest shred of integrity, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, come listen to the podcast where two people who despise Hollywood review Hollywood movies. 
All right, Steve, let's get to the plot summary. And as always, spoilers, motherfuckers. (laughs) In so many ways. Yes, because we ruined the entire movie. If you've never seen Goonies, you can find it on digital media somewhere. I'm sure you can probably buy it for $1.99 at Safeway at your grocery store. (laughs) There's probably an old lady handing it out in front of the store right now. Yeah. It's probably bundled together with uh, Gremlins and uh, what's another Chris Columbus movie from the 80s? Oh, God. I don't know. Home Alone. Uh, oh, did he write that? Uh, no, no, no. He directed it. Oh, that. Uh, I think. No, John Hughes Hughes, Hughes Hughes wrote it. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Well, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Columbus directed it, though. Hughes wrote it. If it's something that makes me sad, I'm sure Chris Columbus had uh-huh. something to do with it. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Chris Columbus and my problems with him. We're here to summarize the plot. <laughs> we're here plot to talk about some Goonies. very specific problems. Uh, Steve, yeah. do you want to summarize the plot? Oh, sure. I can summarize the plot. Okay, and I um, will interject when you get things wrong. It's like Indiana Jones, but with a bunch of obnoxious kids and no okay. stakes. We, we That's it. To, no. We I'm have kidding. to do an hour, dude. <laughs> this, oh, I'm sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> So, well, the movie starts with a thrilling jailbreak, right? No, the movie starts with a suicide. Yes, that's true. Yes, a jailbreak in the in the shape of a suicide. Right. Which is which is played up for its inherent wackiness. I find that that you know, attempted uh suicides turned into jailbreaks. I have an inherent wackiness that this film really plums uh, quite effectively. So it's one of the Fratelli brothers breaking out of jail by pretending to hang himself. And then the the old prison guard comes in and he's like, oh, no, he hung himself. And then the guy's like, ha, I'm not dead. And he kicks him and knocks him out. And they run outside because yeah. I, I guess all the doors were unlocked. Well, uh, here's the other thing. There was only the one guard yeah. in the in the prison. They didn't, in the whole place, apparently. In the whole place, he just had to knock out that one and he could escape. Because there weren't any cops that noticed that the other Fratelli brother that was waiting in the car had poured gasoline in front of the, in front of the fire station, in front of yeah. the police station, to effect a getaway. Because uh, he comes running out, gets in the car, driven by Ma Fratelli. And uh, yeah. they set fire to the front of the police station and drive off. A kid's film. Anyway. <laughs> Which is, the it's like the first indication that this movie is somewhat confused about what exactly it wants to be. Because here we have the introduction of the villains yeah. escaping in this really wacky, rompy kind of way, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, they drive away and then we meet like our main heroes of the story which would be first we meet uh mikey who is the sean astin character and right. his uh his older brother uh, brandon mm-hmm. uh brand played by uh josh brolin right and then we meet a bunch of his, like a bunch of his other friends just sort of decide to show up you know yeah, and introduced hang out at his house. through the car chase because they hit every that's point true in yeah town as they're being chased by the police who by the way are shooting at their car on suburban streets, on suburban, on where people are obviously out and about, going about their <laughs> yeah. business. Yeah, yeah. We meet everyone. We meet Martha Plimpton in a really weird way, where she's—I don't know if she's attempting to drown herself, but she comes. She's in like a next to the docks, and she comes up out of a tub of water with a crab. Yeah, maybe it's like a game that the kids play. I don't know. Oh. I think it's a metaphor to Bobbing indicate for that crabs? her. Her character has crabs. Uh, well, hey, it's possible. Um, you know how girls are. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, everybody kind of gets a little 
introductory shot during the car chase. Mm-hmm. And then and then they kind of gather back at, at Mikey and, and Brandon's house. Yeah. And you also meet Mouth, who is the Corey Feldman character, who mm-hmm. is like sort of the smart aleck in the group and also speaks fluent Spanish for uh, when when some it's convenient reason. he speaks confi- uh, 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 fluent Spanish. Yeah, that's true. His fluency kind of you know, ebbs and flows throughout, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> um, according to the demands of the plot. Right. Uh, we meet Data, who, of course, is Asian and a a brilliant, though somewhat wacky, inventor. Wait. Okay, I'm I'm rolling that statement right back. Brilliant? No. Bri- well, he's certifiably we're... insane person. He's yeah, with somewhat of a chip on his shoulder. It's revealed a little bit later on how people you know make fun of him for his inventions. Okay, we're we're but, introduced to the data character who lives next door to Mikey. The way he gets into Mikey's home is he uh, uh, rides a line yeah, from his bedroom window into the house, and um, he does this. But before he does that, he starts a tape recorder of him playing 007 music from James Bond. Um, he's wearing a very long overcoat. And it's filled with convenient gadgets, which become more convenient as the story progresses. <laughs> and when I saw him and he does the line thing and he comes into Mikey's house by smashing through the screen door, my only thought was it's only a matter of time before Data kills himself or someone else by accident. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if it, if if it if the film took place in reality, he wouldn't have made it as far as he did. I mean, he no. would have been dead years ago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Data shows up, and yeah, he zip lines through the window because who goes through the front door? I mean, no, really? No. And we have the famous scene where um, they make uh, Chunk, who is uh, whose main character trait is that he's fat and yes. he's always hungry. Um, they make him do the infamous truffle shuffle in order to get into the house. Why he has to do that when somehow Mouth and Data manage to get into the house without having to do anything, I don't know. I think and they just not, and, af- and after he does the the truffle shuffle, uh, they Rube open Goldberg the, machine. Number yeah, one. exactly. They open the gate with this Rube Goldberg machine. It looks like it belongs in Pee Wee Herman's front yard, mm-hmm. uh, where you know the bowling ball rolls down the track and blob. All these really you know ridiculous things happen just to open the gate. Scares a chicken, lays an egg. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, that was. What if por- there's no? Pointless. What if the egg does? What if the chicken doesn't have an egg ready? Do you just go? Oh, I guess I'm not coming home tonight. Yeah, I, I guess maybe I'll just open the fucking gate like a person. Yeah, uh, and we're also introduced to the fact that um, apparently somehow the rich people of the town have uh, foreclosed on everybody in uh, this little part of <laughs> in the uh, entire Astoria, neighborhood yeah of Astoria Oregon to expand their uh, to expand their country club yeah and th- this is the last day that this group of kids are going to be able to get together to hang out because everyone's going to get foreclosed upon on the same exact time at the same exact time and everyone's moving away Despite the fact that uh, in Mikey's house, nothing is packed, nothing is in boxes, no one seems to be prepared for this. In fact, when Mikey's uh, mother shows up, Mm -hmm. who I believe is the only parent in evidence until the very end of the film, uh, when she shows up, she actually tells her kids to start packing. 
but we've already established that this is like the day before they have to leave. Right. So yeah, it's sort of like, oh, oh shit. Yeah, they're foreclosed. We're losing our house. They're going to tear our house down tomorrow. So let's pack up our stuff and get ready to leave. And when Brand and, and Mikey's mom does show up, she has, inexp- did they explain why her arm is in a sling? No. It then just I'm was. going to explain it. It's Data's fault. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, when, uh, right before the mother shows up, we, uh, of course, need to add some more kid humor into it, which takes the form of knocking the dick off of a statue that, um, (laughs) that needs, of course, to be fixed because nothing says fun for kids than dick jokes. (laughs) And there's a lot of them. Um, she shows up, but because her arm's in a sling, they, of course, she, of course, has hired, um, a, uh, a maid, an assistant. I'm not quite sure what the person is, but it's someone yeah. who speaks no English. Um, and who seems because that's only... funny. Yeah. And well, see, here's the thing. The problem that I have with this character, she only exists to make fun of. Yeah. Literally, she only exists. What happens is, um, it turns out Mouth knows fluent Spanish, and um, Mikey's mom asks uh, him to translate for her to him about all the stuff that needs to have happen. And uh, Mikey hilariously tells her that they do drugs and there's a sex dungeon and, you know, kid stuff. <laughs> and not to mix up the coke and the heroin, you know. Right, you know, and don't go in the attic because that's where Mr. Walsh's sex dungeon is. A kid's movie. Anyway, um... But, soon enough, they do go into the attic. Yeah, because there might be rich stuff in there. That's right, which they've, again, they've just sort of remembered or thought about, oh, hey, wait a minute, you know? I think there was also something mentioned about Brandon was supposed to get his driver's license, but he failed his driver's test, which threw a wrench into their original plans for their last weekend, which was just to go for a drive up the coast or something. But they can't something like that. They can't do that because Brandon didn't get his license. So now they have to they have to find something else to do. So they go up in the attic and they Mm -hmm. just so happen to find in Mikey's attic the day before they all lose their houses a a treasure map Mm -hmm. with uh, which could theoretically lead them to this this you know treasure of gold and jewels and riches that would enable them to buy back their houses and stop the expansion of the country club and a kind of a fucked up old spanish doubloon yeah that is also sort of like a key to the map and a newspaper article about the last guy who went and looked for this treasure like 30 or 40 years ago. So they find all of this information in the space of like three minutes. Before we leave the attic of plot convenience, I just (laughs) need to interject. From here on out, we can no longer say gold and jewels and stuff. We must adhere to what the kids refer to as gold and jewels Uh, and stuff, which they say rich stuff. Rich stuff. Yes, that's true. We must... (sighs) We must abide by the Goonie conventions. Which is all of them saying rich stuff, rich stuff. instead of treasure. Because apparently that word is too difficult for Apparently, them. yeah. And uh, it was it was hidden in some, you know, underground hideaway by this 17th century pirate mm-hmm. named One-Eyed Willie, who was yeah. also apparently Spanish. I'm guessing mm-hmm. One-Eyed Willie was not his original name. No, I don't uh, think it was born... One-Eyed William. In Spain. <laughs> and by the way, One-Eyed Willie, double-dick joke. Yeah. Kids movie! <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Mikey, because he is of indeterminate intelligence, 
yes. decides that the best thing for them to do for their last weekend together as a as a gang before mm-hmm. they all have to move away is to go find One-Eyed Willie's treasure. So that's what they they set out to do. They Right. Um I'm not going to say that Mikey is of indeterminate intelligence. I'm going to say that Mikey has um a psychological disorder. He spends <laughs> a good deal of time manipulating his friends and talking to himself. Talking to himself or imagining that he's talking as though he's speaking to One-Eyed Willie. Or talking like he's a writer who has to write things out loud. Yeah. At one point, he <laughs> says something like, this is where it starts. That's something a writer says to himself in regards to when he's writing a plot. That is not <laughs> something that you put into the mouth of one of your characters. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. Um, and yeah, he, he, I'll tell you what, he's a young child and he has a rich inner life. Is that that's, what it is? Oh, yeah. We also have I to can... mention he's asthmatic. He's asthmatic. His, yeah. his mother treats him like he's uh, fragile. His mother apparently doesn't want him to even leave the house. No. Which raises questions about the child's education that are never maybe addressed. That's why he, maybe that's why he talks to himself all the time. Yeah, he just... He, and his friends feel entitled to jump through the windows to get into the house, because how else are they going to see him, I guess? Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, I just want to interject. Pirates in Oregon. Yes. It's established that, that there is events around One-Eyed Willie where he stole all of this rich stuff and then fled uh, being uh, chased by an armada that uh, cornered uh, him in a cave and then they collapsed the cave around him and left in 1632 before the establishment of our country or the exploration by Europeans of most of the United States. Well, see, what had happened was Willie made it all the way around to the Pacific Northwest, but then he was trapped there so he mm-hmm. could never come back and tell everybody else about it. That's what happened, But the Ar- Armada was there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, they all sank on the way back. <laughs> so you see, it works out perfectly. Okay, great. So uh, they all ride off on their bikes. They ride off on their bikes, and apparently for a Brandon, because he's the older kid, doesn't want them going out and doing anything stupid, so they tie him up with his mm. his weight spring thingy Mm-hmm. Uh, because he works out. That's like that in the first act of the Brandon's movie. Brandon's a job. Yeah, his only character trait is that he works out so much so that he literally and he goes from his first scene lifting weights to his second scene sitting down in a chair and doing like the chest spring exercise. All he right. does is exercise for like literally the first fifteen or twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, they they tie him up and they they ride off on their bikes to go and find they the treasure. His, the, they flatten the tires on his bike. Yeah, so he has to steal a bike from a little girl. He steals Data's sister's bicycle from her <laughs> to ride after them, which leads to him being he's he's pedaling down the road and and. Uh, like the popular kid, the, the son of the country Troy. club. Troy, the son of the country club expander guy. Captain Date uh, Rape. Yes, totally. Uh, He's riding in a car with with uh, Andy, who is a cheerleader, because girls, popular girls are all cheerleaders. Um, and her best friend, uh, um, Martha Plimpton. Yeah. <laughs> Steph. Steph, Steph, thank you. And um, while Troy Troy gets distracted from his tilting his mirror to look up her skirt, <laughs> to um, suddenly decide that he wants to uh, try murder. That'll be fun. <laughs> he pulls up to Brandon, who is riding a little kid's bike. They have a brief exchange to um, correctly identify that Troy is an asshole. And then Troy uh, grabs his arm and starts driving at high speed dragging Brandon along with him and then uh, lets him go and he goes flying off a cliff to uh, his apparent death. Yes. 
it, it's one of those moments where when my wife and I watch a movie together and something like that happens, my I always get to say, and he's dead. <laughs> That's exactly it was that it was one of those moments. He goes flying like over a, a, a cliff in down mm. into a wood. And you're like, oh, there's no way he's alive. Right. So in, in the meantime, the Goonies, which are the which are the kids, have um, managed to follow the clues left on the map, translated by mouth, and they've managed to line up the doubloon to uh, stuff that's on the coastline, and now they're following it to this specific location. You know, something that no adult ever could do at the History Museum, where this map originally was. Yeah, really. (laughs) Is being figured out in short order by, I don't want to call them dumb, but... um, Not precocious. Not precocious. (laughs) kids, which leads them to a restaurant, which they say, oh, well, this is a summer place and it's fall. This place is closed. They cut to the restaurant, which is obviously abandoned. Yeah. Abandoned for a long time. But they keep talking about it like it was open and like it should be open. It's boarded up. There's like a lighthouse thing in the back that's fallen apart. It's obvious that no one's been to this place in years, but they keep treating it like, you know, it's it's an establishment. They keep calling it a restaurant when there's no sign that says restaurant on the outside. And when they they finally get inside, they find, of course, the the Fratellis, who we saw escaping from jail, have have set it up as their hideout. And what's really unaccountable is not only do the do the kids treat the restaurant as though it's still a restaurant for some unfathomable reason mama fratelli treats it the same way yeah in, she goes with this ruse yeah that they're doing a restaurant while she's not directly threatening the children with a switchblade knife um, or actually, it's a zip knife. <laughs> yeah. Um, she is pretending to serve them water because it's hilariously funny. Yeah. It's a hilariously funny scene. It's I guess I guess I mean, and it 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 ends up with them just and here. Well, not only before she finally just tells him to get out, which is mm-hmm. what she probably would have done originally if the if the script made any sense, or if it wasn't so <laughs> if it wasn't so dedicated to wackiness. You have to plumb mm-hmm. every possible situation for maximum wackiness. So let's mm-hmm. have the kids go into the restaurant, you know, used as a hideout by the criminals and let's see what crazy stuff happens. Right. And she yeah, she brings them water that looks like, you know, whiskey. It's so yeah, brown. It's so dirty. And then Mikey asks to use the bathroom, and she says yes. Yeah, she says go down, go down even further into our hideout. I trust you, kids, who it's... have already um, barged into our hideout to not stray from the path, and you're going to go use the restroom. And at this point, I'm watching it, thinking, okay, we're like half an hour into this. Yeah. And the screenwriter has totally given up already. <laughs> <laughs> like there is no ever it's just there, everything is just bare convenience. Well, if just, she doesn't let him do it, how how he's not going to find the monster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. He goes downstairs to use the restroom. Mm-hmm. And that's when he finds that they have Frankenstein's monster chained up in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and then Brandon somehow, Brandon Somehow, yeah, um, did not die when he fell <laughs> off the cliff. Doesn't have a scratch on him. No, and managed to find them. He comes in, grabs them, and says, "We're leaving." And then uh, Mama Fratelli goes, "Yeah, get out, kids who <laughs> witnessed our hideout, who probably will go home and tell everyone that they know that there are three people in a in the abandoned restaurant." Lousy Bye. kids. Yeah. 
They go outside, but they don't get terribly far because, again, somehow... Andy and Steph managed to find them. Yeah. So now because they got our... bored and they wanted to be in the movie too. They, I, I, I'm starting to think that the kids in this town have excellent tracking skills. That's what I think. <laughs> yes. They went this way, Steph. Yes. So they're they're all outside and they see the Fratellis load something that is obviously a body into the back of their uh, into the back of their uh, four wheel drive car and they drive off. And they get back, they go back inside for some reason. They go back into the abandoned restaurant for some reason. Do, well, do I think it's why? Mikey. Doesn't Mikey, Mikey is insistent that this is where they need to go yeah, to find the, the treasure. They, they've got to go. He's constantly going, I know you're around here somewhere, One-Eyed Willie. I'm going to find you, One-Eyed Willie. Yeah. I, I, I'm out on your trail, One-Eyed Willie. He's constantly saying that to nobody. To he's nobody. A, he's a spooky kid. <laughs> It's really shocking that he's had that he has gathered such a circle of friends around him. Yeah, they go downstairs and they can hear the monster um, screaming, um, and rather than see if he's okay, they're just all terrified of him, and they stumble across what the Fratellis are doing, which is counterfeiting. counterfeiting. But for a brief shining moment, these dumb children think that it's real money that they're printing up. <laughs> yes, because that's where money comes from, children. Yeah, from the basement the of abandoned make restaurants. All of it. <laughs> in this, in this, now we've gone from the attic of plot convenience to the sub basement of plot <laughs> convenience, because not only do we discover that the Fratelli, that the kids discover that the Fratellis are wanted criminals and that they are counterfeiters. But they also have a working walk-in freezer that has a dead body in it. Yep. Kids movie. <laughs> and uh, Oh, by the way, how do we find that? Chunk, who's always hungry, can smell ice can cream smell ice through cream. a freezer door. <laughs> and he ecstatically lists off the flavors of ice cream Ignoring that he discovered. Ignoring the fact that there is a hanging dead body in the freezer. So uh, they find... They find uh, uh, like a, an underground passage in the fireplace, mm-hmm. and some of them go. All of them but Chunk go underground, and Chunk ends up locked in the freezer with the dead person. Yeah, they abandon Chunk. Yeah. Chunk, Chunk is they they leave him locked in the freezer with the dead guy. They all have to escape down this secret passage underneath the uh, fireplace because the Fratellis have returned. Right. And uh, they have no other way to get out. Um, I don't understand why they're concerned because they, the Fratellis let them leave the first time. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really they seem to care. They could have just said, yeah, we came back for, you know, some food. We're hungry. Or whatever. Or more delicious water. And the Fratellis would have played along like they did the first time. But yeah. now, apparently, they're a threat. Um, so, yeah. So, Chunk is locked in the freezer with a dead guy because that's hilarious. Yes. And and, appara- and apparently the only thing that the filmmakers found hilarious about that was just the mere fact of a child being locked in a freezer with a corpse. Because other than that, right. there's no exploration of that at all. It's just, <laughs> oh, look, a, kid's, a kid oh, is trapped in a you, freezer with a dead person. What did, you, what did you want? Did you want Chunk to become introspective? Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, wow, this really centers my life. Death, I'm just life saying. Life is fleeting and we should appreciate every moment. I'm just saying it's not exactly a Buster Keaton routine. I mean, it's just a kid no. locked in a freezer with a dead guy it's like they it's yeah. like they had a, they thought oh wouldn't it be funny if we lock one of the kids in with a dead person and then you know they were having the writers meeting and someone was like okay well then what happens next oh i don't know um, i just thought it'd be I funny for the kid to be locked in there with a dead guy oh, okay so let's they use leave it. they leave and they tell chunk chunk go escape and and get the police 
because he does get out of the freezer. Yeah. And, and then he manages to get out of the basement without getting caught. And then he uh, runs to the nearest road, flags down the very first car, and tells them everything. He's like, hey, thanks, mister, for stopping. I'm, uh, I'm running away from the Fratellis and uh, all the plot that we've done up until this point. <laughs> oh, no, it turns out that the car he stopped was being driven by the Fratellis. Yes, because he so, ran out of, plot, uh, out of the plot contrivance sub-basement and straight to <laughs> Plot Convenience Boulevard. <laughs> So now he's been picked up and he's thrown in the back of their car. Oh, with the dead bodies there again! Oh no! Oh. Why didn't they just take them both? By this time, he should be good friends with the dead body. I think, you know, I was thinking about that. Why didn't they just... Well, they had two dead people. Why didn't they put both of them in the car and leave? I think the only reason is because the director or the screenwriter or whoever... Probably the screenwriter, because it was Chris Columbus, uh, thought, you know, if it's funny to have a kid trapped in, pl- in close proximity to a dead person once, it'll be even funnier if we do it twice. Exactly. So. Meanwhile, the rest of the Goonies are now underground in a secret tunnel dug by One-Eyed Willie himself. And they're following the tunnel to try to get back to town or something like that. And they come across all of these pipes. All of these water pipes, drainage pipes, all this other stuff that uh, Mouth recognizes because his father is a plumber. Yeah. And they decide, we're going to bang on these pipes to try. Maybe someone will hear it and, and, and alert someone. And um, that just wackiness yeah. ensues. Movie this plumbing. Is, movie plumbing movie, ensues. Yeah, movie plumbing where the actions of kids banging on pipes manages to... Uh, make a water fountain jump up and down and hit an old man in the face and, and somehow um, reverse the flow of water out of a toilet yeah, at incredibly toilet, high pressure uh, which uh, traumatizes Troy. Troy is sitting down to uh, I guess take a, a number two and the water comes shooting up and sprays him up into the ceiling and he falls down on the ground and he calls for his dad. He's so traumatized he's like daddy yeah. and um yeah, that goes pretty much nowhere. It's just there because it's funny, Wackiness, I guess. wackiness. Yeah, yeah, wackiness. Um, and at this point, I would like to interject, interject something here. The restaurant builders obviously knew about the tunnel that was under the restaurant that they built. <laughs> the pipe layers who laid all of the pipe for the uh, town, because there was a lot of pipes in that room, knew about the tunnel. And uh, coming up, there's going to be a wishing well. That opens directly the over who, the tunnel. Yeah, that opens directly over the tunnel. Those people more than likely knew about this secret tunnel that no one else, well, one other person had discovered, right? Yeah. But no one else has managed to follow it and find the treasure. This hasn't become like the major, a major archaeological find or historical find at all. People are just like, oh, look at that. A tunnel's been carved into the rock down here. Oh, oh well. what do we care? We're just laying pipe. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Didn't they? I, I'm trying to remember. It's been. I, I just watched it yesterday, but I'm already forgetting. Uh, didn't they find the? They find the 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 skeleton of the last guy from the 30s. That's coming. They, they, That's coming was, up. Is that is that after? Uh, is that before or after the wishing well? That's before the wishing. So well. they could have just entered the tunnel at the wishing well after they the could've. point where the former guy got killed. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, yeah. I, they could have gone back, but, you know, uh, no, we have to have stirring speeches. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but you're jumping ahead, dude. I'm sorry. There's so much plot. If we miss anything in this incredibly rich, rich and detailed plot, we'll you know be lost what? forever. You know what? You're right. This script deserves a careful exactly. treatment. 
So after the water pipes, for some reason, Andy has a freak out. She starts babbling and talking to herself. She's like having a life crisis of some sort. Yeah. Where she's talking about Troy looking down her shirt and and uh, just a ton of stuff. And Steph is trying to talk her down. And I'm not really certain as to why that's in there. No. Other than we got to give the girl something to do. Let's have her have a freak yeah. out for no apparent reason. What, what do girls do? Well, they get hysterical. Yeah. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. let's have one of those. And the kids then just, uh, stumble upon a dead body underneath a giant um, rock. And that is uh, Chester Cobble, uh, Copperpot. Copperpot, yes. The guy who, before them, went off searching for One-Eyed Willie and disappeared. Um, I guess he left no notes as to where he was going or what he was discovering. <laughs> Nobody who I'm, cared about him went to find him. Not really certain how he managed to find the location of the restaurant that may or may not have existed in 1930-whatever when he went missing. Was it 38 or something like that when he went missing? Yeah. Because um, he didn't have the doubloon in order to find the location of it. Right. Because that doubloon was with the map. Oh, and he didn't have the map either. <laughs> So really, none of these things that the kids have yeah. are important at all. But somehow, Chester managed to find the tunnel, but then to get crushed underneath a rock. And uh, this is one of those things where they placed something in uh, the movie uh, that uh, people in the know would be like, just, dude, that thing's worth a lot of money. As a bookmark in his little journal, he has a Lou Gehrig baseball card. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, for people who don't know, Steve and I are baseball fans. And more than likely, they could have bought the entire town with that one baseball card. If you ever find a Lou Gehrig baseball card just laying around, keep it. Yes. Remember where you put it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, but uh, we are now on the corpse of plot convenience because he (laughs) has a, a literally like a metal key that's in the shape of a skull. On a on a lanyard that Mikey takes, and uh, they I identify him because he he still has his uh, his uh, wallet on him, and they say, oh yeah, it's Chester Copperpot, he's dead. Um, and look at this thing; it it seems to have this cable thing on it, and it fell on him. I wonder if we're in any danger. I don't know. <laughs> Mikey finds a tripwire, which he then trips, <laughs> which he intentionally he, trips. He intre- intentionally trips, and giant boulders start falling from the ceiling, and they all manage to escape. And um, now we come upon the wishing well scene. All the kids stumble in this, and the line is, Hey, look, everybody, a beautiful waterfall. Yes, that is literally what he says. That is the line. That is literally they, what he says. They walk into this room, which for a moment looks like it has nothing but, but um, uh, is filled with glimmering coins. Just chock full of money and they all go apeshit because they think they found the treasure and they dive in there but it turns out that it's all quarters and dimes and nickels and pennies from people who have been dropping um, money into the wishing well to make a wish right and this is where we get the really kind of serious dramatic moments because yeah um, they pour all the schmaltz yeah Steph says don't don't take these we can't take this money this these are people's wishes and mouth gets all indignant and says oh yeah well this was my wish and I uh, and I'm not going to say what I wished for uh it's kind of implied that I'm kind of wishing that uh, no one was foreclosing our houses and we had to move away but I'm taking them back And uh, while they're down there, it turns out Troy, who has fully recovered from his traumatic experience with the toilet, <laughs> is now 
completely dry and in the park with his uh, douchebag rich friends talking about how they're gonna how he's gonna make it with Andy because he hasn't made it with Andy yet and he tosses a coin in there and says I'm wishing that I'll make it with Andy <laughs> and the coin comes back and he discovers that they're down there and they're like lower the bucket down so we can get out he lowers the bucket down everyone's getting ready to leave but now it's time for Mikey to make a speech about how they've gotten farther than Chester Cop the Cop uh, by a few feet you know that that dead guy <laughs> the professional who's dead <laughs> You know, a few rooms down, um, we we went we went farther than him. And besides, if we go up there, um, what are we gonna? We're all gonna have to move away. Isn't the risk of horrible death preferable than having to move and experience new things? <laughs> yes, I refuse. I refuse this change. I would rather get mangled by ancient booby traps than have to meet new people at a new school. <laughs> and you're hey you're you're paraphrasing a bit. Whatever, I don't care. That's what he's saying. He says I refuse to change. Nothing will change. <laughs> and his older brother who should be taking responsibility for him goes, "Okay." And no, not just him. Everybody, everyone becomes convinced yeah. from Mikey's speech. He's like, this is our time down here. That's their time up there. Our time down here. There's up there. Wait, let me diagram it. Our time here. Their time there. As you can see, our time is below their time. That's right. Now, here's my video presentation uh, in which I demonstrate what I mean by their time and our time. I've also made a Venn diagram where you can see that there is no overlap between the respective times of our separate groups. So he was convincing. Yes. He didn't convince. He didn't convince me. I'm kind of like maybe the new house will be nicer. Um, yes. Maybe... Even uh, even Andy, who doesn't seem to be terribly close in their circle of friends, and who was yeah, literally she, about to ride the bucket. She literally says up. she's not a she's not a good. Yeah. She's not one of them, and she's getting ready to ride that bucket. <laughs> ride Troy's bucket to freedom. <laughs> ride Troy's bucket to life and uh, stuff. Nope, they are convinced. Let's continue to risk death. And so, um, they all leave, but we've got to check in on Chunk, because last time we saw him, he was captured by the Fratellis. Now, um, just me, but I was fully expecting Chunk to be dead <laughs> at this point. Why would they not kill him? They've killed people well, already. We've seen it. Yeah, they've, they've killed people already. <laughs> but they've decided, let's torture this ten-year-old to see if he knows... Where the other kids are, because now we've decided, oh, well, we've got to catch these kids now. We had them, but we let them go because we're dumb. Um, and so they're going to uh, plunge his hand into a working blender <laughs> unless he spills his beans. And there's a humorous scene in which he confesses to every bad thing that he has ever done. <laughs> and I will wholly admit, I love that scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I pushed my sister down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog. And um, through a, a, a thing that happens in which the kids down in the tunnel discover bats, um, you know, good old-fashioned Hollywood bats on strings. Even. That hover like hummingbirds hover in front like of their faces. Um, those bats escape up through the tunnel. Do they, do they escape up through the wishing well? No. Do they escape up through the myriad other holes that we saw in the tunnel? No. They fly all the way back to the Fratelli's hideout and come bursting up out of the, out of the secret passage. And the Fratelli's go, oh, that's where they went. Um, let, uh, the, They're North now, American plot was, bats. Right. So if I was a Fratelli, 
um, I would then put two right in the back of Chunk's head <laughs> and go after the rest of the kids. But no, they say, hey, should we kill the kid? No, let's leave him alive in case there's um, uh, stuff. And so they lock him up next to the monster, whose name is Sloth. And he is a uh, deformed, gigantic creature that they have chained to a wall, and he does nothing but watch uh, uh, movies, I guess, black and white films on a, on a little TV. And they're very cruel to this, this creature. They, they don't feed him. They call him names. Um, and, of course, they lock Chunk up next to him, who is initially terrified of him. And uh, but, it, but the, it turns what, out he's nice enough. It turns out he's nice enough because um, at one point um, he's he sees uh, chocolate cake being iced because he's watching a cooking show and he's like, "Our chocolate!" And um, Chunk, who has been complaining about not having any food and being constantly hungry, suddenly remembers that he has a whole candy bar in his pocket, <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, Mister, you want my candy bar?" And he tries to toss it over to him, and uh, and Sloth can't reach it, so he pulls his chains out of the wall and, and reaches down for the candy bar. And uh, this is a bonding moment between uh, Chunk and Sloth, where they realize they have something in common, a ravenous hunger for food. <laughs> They're bonded over gluttony. They're bonded over... Well, I think I think uh, Sloth is actually starving. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I <laughs> Maybe don't... he's not a glutton, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it turns out he's a friendly monster. He's a, a gentle giant of sorts. He just seems scary. And boy, is he deformed. He's a pinhead and a Quasimodo yeah. and a Frankenstein all mixed up into one. <laughs> Dude has an um... eye on his cheek. I'm getting I'm getting all turned around, dude. Where are we in the uh, tunnel plot? Don't they 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 wind um, up uh there there's the piano thing, right? No. Or that's no, that's not till later. The, no, that's not until Oh, no, no, it's the um they uh find that remember the metal key that oh, they the found key, the, the, the skull pot? key, yeah. Right, they find a, a like a little puzzle thing and they put it in there and they turn it and it starts a a, a pirate version of a Rube Goldberg machine. Yes. Which spins around, which spins around, and and uh, you know a cannonball falls into a net, and then pulls some things, and things are cut, and then Data falls into a hole, and thankfully he uses one of his gadgets to uh, has a spring with joke teeth yes. on it. I am really, I'm exp- this sounds so stupid. There's a pair of joke teeth on a spring that shoots up out of his Inspector Gadget costume and, and clips onto the side of the wall and saves his life from uh, falling onto a bunch of spikes. Hey, and listen. it makes a cartoon springing sound when it does it. Don't, I know maybe you feel stupid recounting this plot, but don't feel stupid because remember, somebody had to do this for real to studio executives and they still <laughs> made the movie. No, they didn't. They said Steven Spielberg. This is an idea from Steven Spielberg. No, that's true. They said, "Here's here's money. Take it. <laughs> Take our children. Make whatever you do want. Do whatever you want. It's 1985. Steven Spielberg can so, do whatever he wants." So now they they climb down a hole and they come across this chasm which has wa- water running through it and a single log and they mm-hmm. they cross the log and I noticed something in that chasm. There appears to be giant rib bones. Yeah. Um, is that a dinosaur corpse I... or a whale? It's huge, whatever it is. Did they get props from like the Rancor pit in Star Wars? <laughs> I think I don't know. Maybe a bored, overzealous set designer was just was just having fun, and they clearly <laughs> didn't care. Like that. But the Fratellis are catching up to them at this point. Uh, Data whips out convenient gadget number nine hundred, where he covers the log with. Uh, 
oil so that the fratellis slip and and raunch themselves a couple of times on the on the log and now we're in the piano room we're in the organ yeah. room where um one-eyed willie has made a organ of corpses <laughs> kids movie kids movie somehow this organ is still capable of playing i don't know where the air is coming from to power it but uh bone pipes tur- bone pipes turns out that there's musical notes on the back and oh thankfully andy can contribute finally because she took piano lessons and she's going to be able to play the notes on the organ to get them to the next level but she's awful at it and she can barely read the musical (laughs) notes because every time she gets one wrong parts of the floor fall away and every time she gets one right a new passageway kind of opens up a little bit meanwhile the fratellis are gaining on them and uh data has a boxing glove on a extendable arm yep. and he hits one of that them that works more, that actually hits there, people yeah there's more cartoon noises yeah. and slipping and people falling down and the fratellis not shooting data when they have a chance <laughs> because again they are murderers we have established right. that in this movie exactly um but thankfully um andy gets the right notes before they all fall to their doom and they get to the they run out through the thing and <laughs> somehow the fratellis jump a chasm that's opened up between them and the pipe organ i can't remember how they yeah, do that there's like a little walkway next like at the very edge of the pit that they inch their way oh, across okay um and then we get to the next uh cave set piece which is of course what all pirates do and that is they built a water slide <laughs> I don't want to recap the plot anymore. I mean, it's amazing that One-Eyed Willie had as much money left at the end. Because you know <laughs> he, he had, any he of had to contract some of this. <laughs> he wasn't. Uh, well, it didn't matter. He had all that gold. And he just, remember, according to the legend, he murdered all of his That's other uh, crew as soon as they were done. Um, so That had they, to be a bad day to come to work. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we're finally done building all the tunnels and setting the traps. What do you think Willie has planned for us today? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I bet know. we're in for one hell of a reward, though, as hard as we've been working. <laughs> so, um, they go down the water slide, and it comes through to the biggest set piece of all, the cave where Willie got um, uh, trapped in. And there's a pirate ship there. And uh, a lot of water. And uh, somehow the pirate ship has been sitting in salt water for 230 years. And it's just perfect. It's perfect. (laughs) It's seaworthy. It's not falling apart at all. And the kids make it to the pirate ship and they get inside. And for whatever reason, all of a sudden the kids turn really violent against Mikey. (laughs) Because they're looking for the gold. And they're like, where's the gold? We're going to murder you here, Mikey, if you don't tell us where the gold is. And everyone's freaking out on him. But thankfully they find it and it's it's in the it's in the captain's stateroom and it's all filled to the brim with ridiculous looking jewels and corpses. <laughs> and, and Mikey uh, has his I Oh, he has an alone yeah, moment cuz they let him have an alone moment with with one-eyed with Willie. The, with the moldering corpse of the evil pirate, one-eyed yeah, Willie. And, and Mikey tells him that he's the first goonie. And I don't know if that implies that Mikey intends on murdering all of his friends. <laughs> that would have been a... Now, that may have actually salvaged the film. Well, what has salvaged the film is if you heard the voice saying, Now you must follow in my footsteps, Yar. And he, and he puts the eye patch on himself. Murder your friends. <laughs> then there could have been a Goonies 2 where another group of kids goes down there to look for Mikey. <laughs> One-eyed Mikey. And, 
And he's made new booby traps that are even more lethal. It would have you been know, saw before saw. It's one of, it would have been it's, awesome. It's one of the great lost opportunities in Hollywood history. Right. And and Mikey is so overcome with, with emotion that he cries a little bit. And um, they just start taking all the... They start loading up their pockets with gold and jewels and doubloons and rich stuff. Yes, rich stuff. But Mikey is smart enough to tell them not to take the portion that is in the scales yeah because which has an obvious rope attached to it which leads to a trap yes because that's willy share yeah that's willy share don't take willy share um and so they they're getting ready to go home with everything safe but oh no the fratellis have caught up with them somehow no and they uh, fratellis lead them up to the top of the ship and rather than just putting one into their head <laughs> exactly <laughs> each one of their heads with the gun she has she allows Data to watch, try to use his gadgets, and he punches himself in the face. And through mayhem, she drops the gun. So she decides she's going to throw them all off the ship into the mode, the lagoon that's right next to the ship, which I guess is going to kill them somehow. Um, because she she knocks Andy first, Andy's little girl, because she calls her an old witch or something like that, and throws her in the water. And I guess because Andy's hands are tied, she sinks straight to the bottom. <laughs> and Brand literally runs past her, past uh, uh, Ma Fratelli, and jumps in the water to save her. And uh, I guess she's getting ready to mildly inconvenience the other kids by throwing <laughs> them in the water. <laughs> And uh, but they're saved because oh, Sloth and Chunk have showed up. Yes, they teleported and in. They teleported in somehow. <laughs> okay, wait. Now when we see them, they are up on the mast. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because they so, Douglas Fairbanks down. Because he has to Douglas Fairbanks down, where you jab a, a dagger into the sail, and you and you and you uh, follow that down down to the ground. You just it's a stud. <laughs> anyway. Um, but I have to figure when Chunk and Sloth show up on the pirate ship, their first instinct is to climb to the tallest mast <laughs> to look for their friends. I guess I don't know. It's the best view. I guess, even though nobody's um, hiding. <laughs> and um, all the rest of the kids uh, then escape by uh, jumping into the water, <laughs> right. I, which was what Ma was Ma Fratelli was going to do anyway. And um, I told you the script for this baby is airtight. Stop it! And then they try to uh, the the Telly boys try to recapture Chunk, and that doesn't work. And he knocks their heads together and knocks them out. And then Ma Fratelli uh, calms him down and uh, sings him a lullaby, which reminds Chunk that she's a horrible mother <laughs> that admits to have, having dropped him a couple of times. Now I don't remember how dropping a baby more than once turns them into a Quasimodo pinhead Frankenstein. But apparently <laughs> this upsets Chunk to the point in which he then throws Ma Fratelli into the water. Yeah. Oh, you and... missed you missed the, 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 the bit where Chunk pulls off his shirt to reveal he's wearing oh, a Superman right. shirt, which apparently is only there because it's directed by Richard Donner, who also directed yeah. Superman. I cannot think of any other reason for that to be in the movie. Along with the musical flourish yeah. of Superman from the it's first Superman totally movie. just an in-joke. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then um, Chunk jumps off the ship too and rejoins the rest of the Goonies who have all decided we've got to get out of here and call the cops finally. <laughs> um, 
Oh, and here's the thing. Well established way ahead of time when they found Chester Copperpot, he had a bag full of candles and dynamite. Yes, clearly, and obviously dynamite. Well, it says so right on it. It says dynamite on it. And when they um, find it, they which, say, oh, look, candles. Yeah. Because <laughs> we can't read. <laughs> and they... Uh, now, here's the thing. Funny thing about dynamite. If it's left anywhere for too long, it becomes outrageously unstable. Yes. Uh, but not this dynamite. This is uh, forever kept dynamite. It never <laughs> starts to bleed nitroglycerin. Um, so they're trying to get out... Meanwhile, the Fratellis have untied themselves, and I guess they figure, ah, oh, well, we'll let those kids run off and escape. They're no longer a priority because we got all this gold, and they inadvertently trip Willie's last trap, which starts making the cave fall apart um, or open up, and the uh, ship starts uh, setting itself to sail away. You know, masts are coming down, and the sails are dropping, and everything's getting ready to, you know, like it's going to sail away and the Fratellis freak out and they jump off the ship and the kids are like, we're trapped in this cave and thankfully Data lights the dynamite in which he says this candle is funny, it's sparkling (laughs) He's the smart one by the way And yeah, and then one of them says, that's not a candle, it's dynamite and they blow a hole open in the I don't care anymore (laughs) I just want to get to the end of this plot summary What is this movie? Anyway, so the cave opens up, they're all about to escape, but then Sloth's family is like, save us, Sloth! And Sloth is holding up a rock that uh, would prevent the kids from escaping, and the kids escape, and then Chunk tells Sloth, we've only spent uh, probably about 15 to 20 minutes with each other, but I love you, and Sloth loves Chunk! Aww, it's heartwarming. I, I just now realized that we glanced over the fact that Andy has been trying to bone Brand yeah. since the moment they've seen each other. They've almost kissed like 19 times in inappropriate spots throughout the film. And there was I also the really to... creepy uh, switcheroo where she thinks she's kissing Brand in the dark. Oh my god! But she actually right. kisses Mikey. And she even says, yeah. Brand, I'll be over here with my eyes closed. Yeah, for no reason. Because again, just with my eyes closed. Super tight script writing. Yeah, and then she and then Mikey goes in there, and uh, because Brand says, uh, find out what she's ragging on about, <laughs> yeah. and sends his little brother, and she grabs him with his eyes closed and ignores the fact that he's shorter and has braces and has a different facial structure. <sighs> did we have to go back and cover no, that? No, we just did. Okay, great. Anyway, so Sloth uh, lowers the rock to go back and save uh, the rest of his family. In the meantime, the rest of the kids manage to escape, and uh, they stumble up on the beach, and uh, all of a sudden there are cops there. Yep. Um, for, um, uh, there's cops there <laughs> and their family because... Well, the cops are obviously um, patrolling No, that, no, wait, I can figure this beach. out. I can figure, I can figure out why all of those people are there, including the reporter. If you oh, just I'm give sorry. Me a minute. Well, okay, and then what, when, when you figure it out, jump in your time machine and go back 30 See, years and tell Chris Columbus. Maybe, maybe someone did a cell phone, but it's 1985. Um, they're there because the plot's There's no so... reason for them to be there. Anyway, so the kids show up and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, Dad, we found all the rich stuff, but we couldn't bring anything back because the Vertellis and stuff. And 
Troy and his dad are there, and they're like, Ma-ha-ha, we're here for you to sign these papers, because with one, we're, you're going to sign it, and we're going to foreclose on you. You're going to sign it right um, now, in this place, at this moment. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that that's how property laws worked. I thought you could only foreclose on properties that you couldn't pay for, yeah. you know, that the owners couldn't pay for. You can't forcibly make people foreclose or something it's never really explained at all <laughs> and just as brand and brand's father uh is getting ready to sign um the mexican housekeeper that they hired who is also there for some reason and is rifling through the kids coat pockets <laughs> finds a marble bag filled with gems and uh, dumps it into the kids' hands, and they're like, oh, don't worry, now we have these gems, and we don't have to worry about foreclosing, and the town is safe, hip hip hooray! And they rip up the contract and throw it in the air, and... And they all they, the rest. they all have really corny uh, reunions with their parents. Yes, and um, who have not appeared in the film at all to this point? Yeah, who have not appeared at all. And uh, apparently, without asking his parents, Chunk has decided. That, <laughs> oh wait, wait, that's right. Chunk shows up with his with his family in tow, and so the Fratellis get arrested. Yep. Um, and they're going to get the chair for murder because they murdered those. <laughs> they murdered two people, guys. yes. Um, but now uh, uh, Chunk is telling Sloth that Sloth's going to live with him at his house, <laughs> and then the kids start trying to tell the cops, "Oh, we found the, this gold in the pirate ship, and there was an octopus which wasn't in in the movie. It was a scene that was cut, but they left the dialogue in because." <laughs> The editor was asleep, I guess. <laughs> and then we turn around and we see, oh, look, there's One-Eyed Willie's completely seaworthy pirate ship yep. um, sailing off into the sea, um, into the sunset. And um, that's where they end it with the kids saying goodbye to One-Eyed Willie, whose ship is sailing off under its own power into the ocean, <laughs> loaded with literally billions, <laughs> billions of dollars of worth of of treasure and not a single person is immediately sprinting to a boat to go yeah. climb onto that onto that ship to to uh, steal the money back no we get the we get the ending shot of all of them screaming and cheering and the ending credits and fuck god the movie's oh, over oh thank christ <laughs> credits end cue Cindy Lauper music <laughs> because it's not 80s enough. So, Steve. Man. What did you think of The Goonies? Um, I didn't overly care for it. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, right? This, like, like I said at the beginning, this is a movie that almost everybody I know my age, uh, and even some people uh, several years younger than I am, um, who probably weren't even alive or were just barely alive when this movie first came out in theaters have such yeah. warmth for this movie. Like they really yeah. love this movie and watching it. And this is the, I think this is the first time I've ever watched it as an adult. All the other times mm-hmm. I watched it were years and years ago when I was still a kid. And yeah, I was amazed at how awful it is in, in mm-hmm. almost every way. There's almost nothing to recommend it as a movie other than nostalgia. And when I was watching it, I felt like I had this weird feeling of like, it feels like this movie was specifically made 
so that people would forget most of it and feel nostalgic for it 20 or 30 years later. You mean it's intentionally like, we're going to make a nostalgic movie. Yeah. We're going to make a cult film on purpose. Because when you watch it as an adult and you're lucid and you're paying attention, it's mm-hmm. so bad. It's horribly written. I mean, I, Chris uh-huh. Columbus is a shit writer anyway, but I mean... I don't know if he's written a worse script than this one, just in terms of plot. The plot is so yeah. lazy and it just, it, yeah. it runs totally on convenience after convenience after convenience. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are these weird comedy bits that just pop up with no explanation and then just sort yeah. of go away without even being explored very much. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just a bad movie. The only thing I can say that recommends it is the kid who plays uh, chunk is excellent. Yes. The kid who I, I I made this statement while I was watching the movie. I was like, "How come this can't be Chunk and Sloth the movie? Yeah. Why can't this be just Chunk and Sloth having an adventure? Why 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 are we deprived? Why are these two characters the ones that we aren't following? Yeah. Why are we following the annoying ones, the one the, the ones that we don't like, the ones that I do like? The kid who plays Chunk is extraordinarily a, a very talented young." comedic performer yeah, absolutely. and he is the only one that literally made me laugh out loud mm-hmm. me too and there are a couple of physical gags that work really well though there's a, there's a great scene where chunk is still in his chair and sloth comes up and he goes chunk and he thumps his hand against his chest and chunk says chunk and he indicates himself and sloth it goes chunk Hits his chest. No, he goes sloth. Hits his chest. Chunk hits him, and he falls. He knocks yeah. him straight over. <laughs> That's funny physical comedy. I just wish that there were more scenes where there was that kind of payoff. And one of the problems is I don't think anyone who made the movie had any idea of what kind of movie they were making. No, not at all. That's the other thing. Not only is it is it terribly written in terms of its plot, but it's so tonally confused. Like it has the roots of like a Hardy Boys uh, adventure story, yeah. or like you know, Adventures in the Pirates Cave, or you know, something along those lines. But then they tried to populate it with uh, a Hollywood a Hollywood executive's idea of what kids are in the eighties, yeah. and that's where it kind of falls, uh, kind of falls apart because the they kind of take these tropes. I mean, as funny as Chunk is, he isn't much more than let's give him one character trait. Yeah, he's hungry all the time and fat. And yeah. I wish I could say that that extends to the other characters, but it doesn't. I, Mikey is mildly psychotic and driven. Um, Brand is just a jock. Um, the girls are given nothing. Yeah. I mean, Andy is given nothing, and Steph is giving practically nothing. She's supposed to be the ugly, I guess, the ugly friend. Yeah. But that's never really explored, except for a little bit at the end between her and Mouth, who tells her, you're really cute if your face didn't get in the way. Yeah. And it's like, okay, um, just because you write something and you have the actors deliver it like it means something doesn't actually mean it means no, anything. No, because those characters hadn't had any kind of connection in the movie at all. Mm-mm. It's not like there was this interplay between Steph and Mouth that got paid off. It was just, oh, here are these two characters. Let's give them something. Yeah, and here's the other thing. There's indication that when they're up in the attic of convenience and uh, Mikey's trying to convince them, hey, let's go all looking for treasure. Um, one of them says, uh, I think it's Chunk, says, oh, we're not going to follow you on another one of your 
stupid Goonie adventures, which indicates that they had stupid Goonie adventures before this. And maybe that there will be stupid Goonie adventures after this. And I can honestly say that, uh, you know, this movie did fairly well. It made money. Um, The only reason why they couldn't uh, make a sequel is because they put so little thought into this film that they couldn't think of what else the kids could do. I mean, let's face facts. After this, the town is saved. Everyone, I guess, has money on the jewels because they'll they'll split it up. And you know, the the town doesn't descend into madness as they all try to get to the get to the gold that's left on the ship, no. and then it turns into they all seem pretty chill about infight, it. Infighting and murder over who gets the lion's share of all of this gold. Um, but I mean, everything is kind of wrapped up, I guess, at the end. So maybe they wisely decided, oh, there can't be a sequel because they have the money and the town saved, and that's all they really wanted. That's fine. But um, the problem is, is there are a lot of tropes in this movie that have been taken from previous genres and crammed into this movie to make them fit. Yeah. And the one that I think can think of right off the right off the bat are the Fratellis. Yeah. The Fratellis are part Hardy Boys villains, part 30s serial villains. Yes. You know? Yes. Well, they're dumb. Their motives don't make any sense. But yet, at the same time, they are established unambiguously as murderers. That, that's what mm-hmm. I mean. When I, it's, an, it's a great example of when I say it, it just has a lot of tonal confusion. Where, like, most of the time, we're, I think we're meant to regard the Fratellis as, like, these wacky sort of characters. Like, cartoon villains. Yeah. But yeah. they're murderers. We've seen the corpses of the people they have murdered. It's They nearly murder themselves yeah. in an yeah, argument. Yeah, it's really difficult to regard them as these lighthearted sort of cartoon villains and to regard like the, the, the whole movie is just sort of a romp, which I get the impression that mm-hmm. I, I think overall, that's kind of what they were going for. Like you said, it's very hardy boys, or at least it tries to be in a lot of it. And it's, it's also like Indiana Jones, you know, they're going, you know, yeah, they're yeah. solving puzzles and they're going through tunnels. That's and, how they marketed the film from the people who brought you Indiana yeah. Jones and, and Superman. And there are, and, and there are several really explicit, homages to Indiana Jones in the movie. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, you can't have that and then also have your cartoon villains who are also unambiguously established as murderers. It just, it, it throws kind of a, a, a wrench into that. You know, yeah, the same thing, the same problem when they try to have like the really, uh, the really serious emotional moments, like when they're in the wishing mm-hmm. well, you know, and when Corey Feldman's like, this is my wish and I'm taking it back. And it's, this is, it's yeah. played very straight. Like it's supposed to be this deep emotional moment. And I'm thinking like, right. what, I'm supposed to have an emotional investment in these fucking cartoon characters now? Well, he does also doesn't even state what his wish is. It just kind of comes out of the blue. Yeah. Where he has this, where this jerk kid who has been a jerk throughout the entire film, this kind of jokey jackanape, yeah. and he he all of a sudden has this severely traumatizing moment where he's like, "I'm taking my wishes back," and then proceeds to drown himself in the wishing <laughs> yes. well water, and 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 then it's never mentioned again after that point. It's kind of like, "Oh, I'm glad he got that off his chest." I don't know what his dream was. I certainly hope it wasn't mass murder or something like that. <laughs> But it's, it's obvious. It's obvious to... that they had found they had stumbled upon the treacle well. <laughs> that's that's why all that stuff started to happen. They were getting infected by everyone else's wishes that never. There you go. Them. That's hey. There you go. Uh, that's some qual- that's so, some quality shitty movie apologetics. There, my friend. 
So the pro- I think the problem with the film is is there are instances where the film works, where there are instances where there there are parts that are funny. Yeah. There are instances. There are enough instances in the film where if you turn off your brain that requires you to think about stuff and treat anything realistically, it's it's fine. It's a fine film. You know, it's not. I'm not going to say that it's absolutely the most worst thing that I've ever seen because no. boy, it's not. But um, and if you're a little kid, like a little kid, like the kids that we're talking about who have nostalgic feelings for this film, you're gonna you're not gonna notice any of that stuff. But this brings me to the larger point, which is they these kids cuss yeah. a lot. They talk about sex a lot. There's a lot of very uncomfortable scenes in which all th- where three of the boys are manhandling a statue's penis. Yes. <laughs> um, there's, that's like an ex- we mentioned other that is like an extended riff. I mean, that they is fuck an extended with that riff. ripped off statue penis forever. Mhm. Um so there's a lot of interjections of of things that doesn't seem necessarily appropriate for the age group that the rest of the movie seems to be written for. And maybe they're trying to sell it so that parents didn't fall asleep while watching the film yeah. or whatever. Um, you don't hear too many now when this movie came out I was already a, well I was 16 when this movie came out and I was kind of like ugh whatever yeah so I don't have nostalgic feelings for this movie aside from the fact that it was a film that came out in the 1980s you know and you know it's it's just one of those things where I don't have nostalgic feelings for it I've never really viewed it through a nostalgic lens. It was just one of those movies that had problems before. And I admit, I readily forgot about a lot of this film until I rewatched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And rewatching it, it's kind of hard at this point to turn off my brain that asks the questions that pop up almost every two minutes or so while watching the film. Is like, why didn't this make sense? Where are the cops in this scene? How come there's a, a beach road rally in this town that I guess is financially repressed to the point in which they can foreclose on an entire district. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not just Mikey that's losing his house. Everybody's losing their house. Every character in the film. Yeah, everybody. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of this weird balance where they're taking this unrealistic plot where an unrealistic villain is doing an unrealistic thing to these families' homes, and now there's an unrealistic resolution involving pirate treasure and adventures and booby traps and and wacky piping and I'm going to say this right now: this is nothing. All of that is nothing compared to the stuff that they cut out of the film. <laughs> Do you want to hear what was cut out of the I'm, film that was actually filmed second unit by Steven Spielberg himself? I'm dying to hear it because I don't know this. During the wacky pipe scene, while everything, while there's nothing but chaos in this small town as as they bang on the pipes, somehow the pipes caused a cage at the zoo to open up, and two gorillas escape and proceed to wreak havoc in town. That makes sense. By driving golf carts around and just being a general nonsense. So... The thing they cut out from the film was gorillas, and I guess they just figured, oh, that's going a little too far. (laughs) Wow. I mean, the audience is going to accept West Coast pirates, and they're going to accept that the pirates built a water slide, and they're going (laughs) to accept a giant Quasimodo pinholed Frankenstein, but they are not going to accept two escape gorillas from a town that somehow had gorillas in their zoo. Yeah. 
Well, or the fact that this tiny little sleepy Pacific Northwestern town had a zoo in the first place. <laughs> there was obviously a screening of that that rough cut, and after the lights came up in the theater, there was a studio executive who sort of sighed and looked over at his <laughs> friend and said, "The gorillas." No one, no, no one did that because they just would have said Steven Spielberg was second unit director on the gorilla. And then he would have said, oh, well, what I was going to say was I love the gorillas. More gorillas. Can the kids be gorillas? Does Steven want to make a gorilla movie? (laughs) No, the only reason that had was maybe, maybe Spielberg went, the gorillas are a little much. And Donner went, yeah, you're right. And they cut it right out of the Spielberg saw it in the rough cut and he was shocked that they actually used it because he shot it as a joke. And he was like, wait, whoa, you're not putting that in, are you? No, fuck the you. Other thing that was, the other thing that was cut out that they mentioned, like I said, we they mentioned when they're trying to talk to the police, is the octopus. There was a giant octopus in the movie that attacked the children, which would make the whole, we're throwing the kids into the water to the octopus, make more sense. Um, but uh, they cut all of that out because apparently um, the octopus looked incredibly fake. And the kids had to wrap the arms around uh, themselves and struggle to make it look like the octopus was attacking uh, them. Ah, a la Ed Wood. A la Ed Wood. And so they just cut all reference to that out of the film. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, they had references to so many other movies. Why not throw a Bride of the Monster reference in there? Sure. What the hell? Okay. Now, why not? How about UFOs at the end? Come down and take take this pirate ship. I mean, away. why the if fuck not? Be throwing tropes what, is, in Is it going to spoil the verisimilitude? <laughs> this movie does not deserve a, a, a ten dollar word like "verisimilitude." Dude. <laughs> okay, so Steve, do you recommend? Um, I the I just can't, man. I mean, if <laughs> I guess maybe if you're if you are a small child and you and uh-huh. you won't notice how awfully plotted it is, then you you will probably enjoy it as 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 I did when I was a kid. But for adults, no, it's just. Uh, it's just not a good movie. It's just not. Yeah. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to give a guarded re- recommendation. And that is, <laughs> if you're a young, if you have a kid or you have some kids and you want to keep them preoccupied for two hours, um, show them the Goonies. It's it's only mildly racist <laughs> towards um, immigrants and Italian people and and kind of the Chinese <laughs> But um, it's not, like, offensive to the point in which you're like, oh, God, can't believe people are teaching these kids these things. It's not. It's, it's, a, it's For a little kid, it could be considered a, an adventure, some romp for two hours. I'll just shut the kids up and keep them out of your hair. Yeah. And you can perpetuate that whole feeling of nostalgia thing and set your kids up for disappointment when they watch it again as an adult. And they were like, why did I like this? And throws their entire childhood into question and makes them question if anything they liked when they were a kid was real and good. So do that. Traumatize, you know, it's, Trigger. It's for two hours for a piece, it's well yeah. worth uh, trauma in their future because they won't be living with you when they rediscover the Goonies out of nostalgia's sake and they rewatch it and discover that their whole childhood was a lie. Trigger a crisis. <laughs> Show your kids the Goonies and trigger a crisis. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, there are parts in this movie that I actually did enjoy. There are yeah. parts, there are, if you break up the scenes and you look at the scenes and you look back and you go, oh, I remember that funny scene when they were torturing Chunk or um, something else. With <laughs> yeah, most of my enjoyable oh, moments on, are Chunk just moments. A, just a Chunk of the movie. Come on. Yeah. 
Just it would have been. I tell you what. Instead of watching the whole movie, just I'm sure there's like a chunk supercut on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> just find that and watch that. It'll probably be about six or seven minutes long, and it'll be wonderful. Exactly. Exactly. You, you can get back to what you were doing. You know. Uh, right. So, um, Steve, do you um have a, a recommend a hearty recommendation for a, a movie? I do this week. I do actually. I okay. was. I you know this isn't. I think it's a nostalgia movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it got me thinking about other movies that I liked when I was uh, in that age range that came out. Actually, that came out around the same time as The Goonies did in the mid-80s. And I'm going to recommend yeah. a movie that is not necessarily what I would call a good movie, but it is what I would call a better movie than The Goonies. And I, and I yeah. can say this because I have watched it as an adult many, many times, unlike The Goonies. And um, it's, okay. one of my, it's, it's one of my favorite sort of enjoyably bad movies. Uh, and it's okay. The Karate Kid. Um, the Karate Kid, when you watch it as an adult, especially if you're nostalgic about it from watching it as a kid, it doesn't really hold up in the same way. <laughs> it's not a good movie. It it has a few of the same problems that The Goonies has in terms of plot conveniences and, and, and things yeah. happening that shouldn't really be happening. <sighs> but overall, I think I, I, I watch The Karate Kid now as a 35-year-old, and I see that it's not a terribly good movie. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I have such a great time watching it, and yeah. I'm recommending that because and, and and there are there are moments in it that that I do think are genuinely good, mostly having to do with Pat Morita as, Pat Morita. as Mr. Miyagi, he, <laughs> as the magic as, Japanese. Exactly, man. he is the uh, he's the chunk of this film. Uh, it turns out I have everything that you yeah. need to make you happy. <laughs> exactly, he's like the he's like the kindly old Asian genie. Who comes into this? Who comes into the life of this totally undeserving guy, and right. fixes all his problems? But anyway, exactly. we could do a whole show about the Karate Kid. But for now, that's my recommendation. If you enjoy the Goonies, or you didn't enjoy the Goonies, or you remember the '80s and you're nostalgic for those movies, check out the Karate Kid. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to recommend a film that also features um, uh, a group of kids going out on an adventure and uh, uh, has a dead body in it. And, what movie could it be? And uh, also has Corey Feldman for some reason, um, and that's Stand by Me. Uh, I know a lot of people have rewatched this movie and they're like, "Oh, it's okay," but you know what? I uh, watched rewatched it recently, and you know what? It's still a good movie. Uh, there's a reason why it's popular. It doesn't fall. It's for some reason Stand by Me doesn't fall into the nostalgia area that The Goonies does. Yeah. But Stand By Me, which is based on a, a Stephen King short story, is about a group of friends from a from a small town who hear that there is a that a kid got hit by by a train and the dead body's just kind of laying out someplace and they all decide, hey, we're going to go and we're going to take a look at this dead body. And along the way, they discover things about themselves. And the difference is is that this is more of a straightforward drama, you know, kind of looking at these kids. Um, through this, uh, through and it is viewed very much through a lens of nostalgia. The the plot takes place in the 1960s, but it never uh, really loses sight of the fact that they're kids and they talk like kids. They behave for the most part like kids. Um, and uh, I don't want to give away too much of the plot if you've never seen it. Um, it's got Will Wheaton and uh, River Phoenix and uh, Kiefer Sutherland as a fucking buddy. What's his name? Buddy Ripperton. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Oh, I wanted him to die so bad. <laughs> Kiefer has that effect on people. 
But it's one of those movies that's that's introspective, and and sure, there are a couple of places where it can kind of get syrupy, but it feels more that Stand by Me feels a little bit more real mm. than uh, the Goonies will ever <laughs> approach. And um, but I mean, you still have kids sitting around talking about what is goofy, and in fact, I think that's the movie where people actually ask that question first: of what is goofy. <laughs> Because that's stuff that kids, you know, that's stuff that kids talk about. And um, so I'm going to recommend Stand By Me. So there. <laughs> and it was also made in the 80s, yeah. too. In fact, I think it came out the year after this. And I agree. It's a really good movie. I oh, agree. Wow. I like Stand By Me. Okay. Well, that's it. You hate us now, don't you, nostalgia audience? <laughs> well, we don't care. It's like to listen to those two old men tear apart. The movie, well, I'm old. I don't, Steve's not technically old. But, you know, he kind of qualifies. I've heard him complain about parades. And yeah, I, I could and, very uh, easily be old. Yeah, you could. You really, you could be easy. You're better at being old than I, I could am. pass. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. If you disagree with us, and I'm sure there are some of you out there who do, please uh, leave a comment on the SoundCloud page and let us know. Um, or if uh, uh, you just want to leave a comment, do it there too. Um, or if you have a recommendation for another movie, remember, we're trying to review movies that are at least 10 years old and are considered classics. <laughs> or, because uh, we're not really big, and a lot of people lately have been saying, hey, review this awful movie that is awful. And we're like, we're not a bad movie podcast, guys. Right. <laughs> we're legitimately trying to take popular films and, and holding them up to the light of day and see if they can withstand the heat and light, the cleansing rays of the sun. <laughs> Um, but go ahead and, and leave comments. Thanks for everyone who has uh, so far. And until next time, uh, go see a movie this week. And remember, Goonies never say die, but one day they will die, as will we all. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Steve. Have a good weekend, everybody. <laughs> it's not the weekend for them. They could be listening to this in the car. They could be on their way to work on a Tuesday. Have a good day. They could be have, night. Have a good next period of time.